0: I love studying the Bible. The book of Habakkuk is one of those books that we generally don't spend a lot of time studying, and yet there's some great lessons to be contained within it. Last week we studied about Habakkuk as he was troubled about what he saw in the world in which he lived. We're going to talk about this morning about his being teachable. And by way of introduction, I'd like to ask some questions that's Spar, some spur or spark some thoughts within your minds to get you to think as we approach this. Have you ever been frustrated when you look at how things are going? I could ask you, are you frustrated with our world and our country politically? I would say most of us tend to be at times, regardless of what political party we might have voted Are you frustrated sometimes with your sports team? You see them go out and you see them play on the weekend and you wonder what's going on and why are they not doing a better job? Now let me ask you question number two. Have you ever struggled with the way that those who are in charge have handled things? For instance, when you look at your favorite sports team and they lose, You look at the coach and say, Why did he make that choice? Why did he do it this way? Or let me put it in a spiritual realm. You look at the way things are going within a local congregation and you ask yourselves the question, Why did the elders make this decision or that decision? Why are things going the way they're going? And you see, you begin to ask these questions. And what you realize is, is that sometimes those who are in charge have a different perspective because they know things that you don't know. And they see things that you do not see. I'd hate to be a college coach on Saturday to have to play every week and then to be guest by all of those folks around me as to why I did what I did. But they may know that a young man has a hurt somewhere in his body and that he can't play very well. They may know that he lost his favorite grandmother that past weekend and that his mind is not in the game. You see, what you have to realize is that Habakkuk is looking at Judah And he sees the sin that's going on, and he's asking himself the question, why has God not handled this or handled that in a certain way? And in reality, he is questioning God's leadership. And God teaches Habakkuk. He provides for him an understanding of his perspective. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to study Habakkuk chapter 2. And here's the outline that we're going to follow. We're going to look first of all at the reaction of Habakkuk as God has answered him that he was raising up that bitter and hasty people called the Chaldeans to punish God's people Israel. And in response to that raising them up, Habakkuk is still troubled... That God could take a nation more wicked than Judah and use them to punish his people. This is going to be his reaction. Along with that will be God's revelation of the Chaldeans. Who they were, their character, their nature. That's going to be verses 2 through 5. And then we're going to go very rapidly as we look at verses 6 through 20 and see God's rebuke by means of five woes of the Chaldeans. Let's begin, first of all, and look back again at chapter 2, verse 1. I hope you'll keep your Bibles open here. We're going to have the Scriptures on the screen. But this is important for us to see it in its context. I will stand my watch... And I will set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Now, the words stand, watch, and rampart describe a man who is a watchman. To stand watch means you are the man who stands on top of the rampart. That is the outer wall of these walled cities. And you're looking for an approaching enemy. And when you see the enemy coming, you sound the trumpet. You blow that trumpet and announce to everybody, there's an army coming. Prepare yourself. Get ready for battle so everyone can run to their stations to prepare. In a spiritual sense, God has chosen His prophets to be watchmen. One of the best passages I can think of is found in Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 17. He said, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning for me. So Habakkuk is saying, I am going to stand my watch. I am going to get up on that rampart and I am going to watch. Now there's two different ways that a person might be able to look at this. Possibly Habakkuk takes God at His word, what he said in chapter 1, and now he is watching for the approach of the Chaldeans. I'm going to stand my watch. I'm going to see them coming. And so God's judgment will be sure upon this people. But more likely, Habakkuk, has challenged God. And he must take God's rebuke. And I think that's what's indicated when the words watch to see what He will say to me when I am corrected. You see, this is really, chapter 2, verse 1, is about Habakkuk. And you've got to see yourself in Habakkuk a little bit. Habakkuk's reaction is saying, God is going to correct me How will I answer him? Now, folks, I want you to think about yourself as I think about myself. Do I ever complain about the situation in life? Do I ever ask God why? Do I ever ask God how long? Do I ever ask God why did you put this situation like it is and will you fix it? Well, for just a moment... I want you to explore with me three little small sections from the book of Job. If you'll turn first of all with me to Job chapter 38, verses 1 and 2. You see, what has pre- preceded these verses is Job was struck with a loss of all of his wealth. In addition, Job was struck with a loss of his health. He had three friends who came from afar, Bildad, Eliphaz, and Zophar. And these three friends of his tried to keep telling Job, the reason why you're suffering is because God is punishing you. Job's response was very sudden, very sure. I didn't do anything. Job chapter 9 and verse 20, he says, Who will appoint my day in court? Who's going to give me an opportunity to stand up and answer God for what has happened to me as I give vent to my questions? Well, let's look at Job 38, verse 1 and 2. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? You see, God speaks just like He does here in the book of Habakkuk. And He says, who's talking? And what kind of questions are you going to ask? Well, now turn over with me to chapter 40, verses 1 through 7 is short, but let's look at them. Because God, after firing a barrage of questions at Job, says this, Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you shall answer me. Did you hear God's rebuke to Job by saying, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Folks, carry that back to Habakkuk. Shall the one who contends with God correct him? Was Habakkuk in any position to question God's judgments? I think you know the answer to that is not at all. Are you and I in a position to look at God and say to God, Why did you do this this way? Why did you design the church the way you designed it? Why are you allowing this world to go in the direction it is going without doing something? God tells Job, verse 7, You get up and like a man, I want you to answer me. Folks, Job said, I'm putting my hand over my mouth. I'm not going to talk again. Go with me now to chapter 42. Let's look at verses 1 through 6. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything. And that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You asked, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me that I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said, I will question you and you will answer me. I've heard you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Job said, God, you told me I'm going to answer. Okay, here I'm answering. I abhor myself in dust. See, what God wanted Job to do was to admit he didn't know what he was talking about. God wanted repentance from Job and got it. When I go to the book of Habakkuk and I see God's question to Job or to Habakkuk, I can see what God is saying to him. I want to show you my perspective. I want you to see my side so that you can see yourself. Folks, that's really what this lesson is all about, is being teachable. Job was teachable. Habakkuk was teachable. Are you and I teachable when we question God? That's going to bring us to part number two. Let's look at verses two through five now. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write a vision and make it plain on tablets that he may run who reads it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time. But at the end it will speak and it will not lie. Though it tarries, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Behold the proud. His soul is not upright in him. But the just shall live by faith. Indeed, because he transgresses by wine... He is a proud man and does not stay at home because he enlarges his desire as hell. And he is like death and cannot be satisfied. He gathers to himself all nations and heaps up for himself all peoples. Write a vision. You see, there is a message being given to Habakkuk. And it's not just for Habakkuk. It's for all of us. That's the reason why God says, Write a vision. You know, if this was just for Habakkuk, it was just for him, we'd have never known about it. But you see, God's message has been revealed so that it could be written down, it could be given to generation after generation so that you and I can learn just like they learned you have a written record. Jeremiah chapter 25 verse 13. I will bring on the land all of my words which I have pronounced again it. All that is written in the book which Jeremiah the prophet prophesied concerning the nations. The second thing he said after he said write it he says make it plain. In fact make it so plain that a person who's running can read it. I don't know about you I when I'm walking I can't really read very well. When I'm running, I sure can't read very well. So you've got to make it plain. You've got to make it large. You don't want a lot of words. You just want something there that communicates. So make it plain. Make it where somebody who's in a hurry can read it. But he says it is not for the present. It's for the future. The time is not yet. In fact, he says, it will tarry, but wait for it. What God is saying to Habakkuk is the same thing that he said to Job is the same thing he said to the souls under the altar who asked the question, how long? And that is, God says, I'm going to work all this in my good time, but it will happen. Learn to wait for me. Learn to wait for what I tell you to come to pass. Wait for the fulfillment. But in the meanwhile, let me tell you who these people are. He's going to reveal the character of the Chaldeans, this nation that God's going to bring against His people. And here's what he says. He's proud. By wine he is proud. You get a man intoxicated and he thinks he can do anything. He believes he's superman. And he believes that he is drunk with power. Because of that, he expands into an area that is not his. He's a predator. You know, just like the king of the jungle is able to conquer and kill and uh, drive out anybody he doesn't want. Babylon is a predator. But I want you to notice the contrast but the just shall live by faith. You know, I occasionally have people tell me, Tony, why do you preach a lot from the Old Testament? Why don't you preach from the New Testament? And I try to tell people, if you don't study the Old Testament some, you really can't see the great value of the New Testament. And much of the New Testament is based upon things that were learned in the Old Testament whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Romans 15 and verse 4. That phrase, the just shall live by faith, is found at least in three different passages. Look at Romans 1 and verse 17. Paul would say in verse 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Then verse 17, For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. You see, the, those who are just, those who are righteous are going to live by the faith. You and I have the faith revealed to us in the Gospel. Go to Galatians chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. But that no one is justified by the law is evident or is in the sight of God is evident. For the just shall live by faith. Yet the law is not of faith, but the man who does them shall live by them. It's not by that Old Testament law. It's by the New Testament. Oh, but I learned that from Habakkuk. Or Hebrews chapter 10, verse 37 and 38. He says, For you have need of patience, that having done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For he who is coming will come and will not tarry. But then he says, Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Verse 39, But we are not those who draw back into perdition, but those who have faith to the saving of the soul. The big picture that you see is, The just shall live by faith. The unjust will live by his own will and his own desires. That brings me to the final part, verses 6 through 20. We won't be as detailed as we go through these, but I would like to suggest to you that what you find there are five woes pronounced upon the Chaldeans or the Babylonians. And in that, you see the contrast between the one who lives by faith, who is guided and directed by God, versus one who chooses to do what he wants to do. And I think in these five woes, you can see the difference between a man of God and a man of the world. Woe to the greedy. Look with me at verses 6 through 8. Will not all these take up a proverb against him and a taunting riddle against him and say, Woe to him who increases what is not his. How long? And to him who loads himself with many pledges. Will not your creditors rise up suddenly? Will they not awaken who oppress you? And you will become their booty? Because you have plundered many nations, all the remnant people shall plunder you. Because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city, all of you who dwell in it. You know what he's saying? Woe to those who increase in what is not his. They're greedy. They want what someone else is. And you know what God said is going to happen to them? Everybody that they have plundered is going to in turn plunder them. This is a principle that's found throughout the Bible. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked whatever a man sows. That's what He's going to reap. You plunder people, you are greedy for what is others. I think about people like Bernie Madoff. That name always gets me. The guy who made off with millions of people's money They should have known by his name to start with he was going to take them. But do you know where he's at now? He's in prison with nothing. A man who had limousines and millions and enjoyed pleasures preying upon people now has nothing. Babylon, that will be like a steamroller over the people of the world, will soon see herself destroyed with nothing. Listen to Jeremiah, chapter 51, verses 34 and 35. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has devoured me. He has crushed me. He has made me an empty vessel. He has swallowed me up like a monster. He has filled his stomach with my delicacies. He has spit me out. Let the violence done to me and to my flesh be upon Babylon. The inhabitant of Zion will say, and my blood be upon the inhabitants of Chaldea. Jerusalem will say you're going to get what you deserve second one woe to the covetous covetousness is when I want something that belongs to someone else and it's very similar to the greed listen to verses 9 through 11 woe to him who covets evil game for his house that he may set his nest on high that he may be delivered from the power of disaster and You give shameful counsel to your house, cutting off many peoples and sin against your soul. For the stone will cry out from the wall and the beam from the timbers will answer it. These people who want more and more to set their nest on high. They want to be at the top of the hill. They want to be able to command all those who are under them. Psalm 49, 11. Their inner thought is that their houses will last forever. They're dwelling places to all generations. They call the lands after their own names. I think about Constantinople, named after Constantine. You know where it's at today? It's called Istanbul. People call lands after their own names. Those names don't last. Psalm 52, 7 Here is a man who did not make God his strength, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and strengthened himself in his wickedness. Third rebuke. Woe to the oppressors. Listen to verses 12 through 14. Woe to him who builds his town with bloodshed, who establishes his city by iniquity. Behold, it is not of the Lord of hosts that the peoples labor to feed the fire and the nations weary themselves in vain. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, and the waters cover the sea. Build their house by bloodshed. Jeremiah recorded it in chapter 22, verses 13 through 17. Woe to him who builds his house by unrighteousness, and his chambers by injustice, and uses his neighbor's service without wages, and gives him nothing for his work. The picture that is described by Jeremiah here is that there are people who are constantly using somebody else's work. Let me move quickly. The fourth one. Woe to the drunkards. Listen to verses 15 through 17. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbor. Pressing him to your bottle even to make him drunk you may look on his nakedness. You are filled with shame instead of glory. You also drink and be exposed as uncircumcised. The cup of the Lord's right hand will be turned against you and utter shame will be on your glory. For the violence done to Lebanon will cover you. And because of the plunder of beasts which made them afraid because of men's blood and the violence of the land and the city and all who dwell in it. Woe to the drunkards. He said, what do you do? You take your bottle, you press it to his lips. Why? You want to make him drunk. Why do you want to make him drunk? So you can take advantage of him. God said, you know what's going to happen? You also are going to drink and your nakedness is going to be exposed. You're going to be just as drunk as he is. I want you to go with me to Daniel chapter 5. You talk about a fulfillment. Daniel chapter 5 is the end of the Babylonian Empire. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for the thousands of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousands. While he tasted his wine, Balshazar gave the command to bring the gold and the silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which was had been in Jerusalem that the king and his lords his wives and his concubines might drink from them. They then they brought the gold vessels that which had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem and the king and his lords his wives his concubines drank from them. They drank wine. And praise the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. And you know what happens? A hand appears on the wall and starts writing, Mene, Mene, Tikal, Yefarsin. Which means you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. You see a fulfillment? While they're drinking from the vessels from the temple of the Lord and getting drunk on them, God proclaims the end of the Babylonian Empire. Number five, woe to the idolaters. Verses 18 through 20. What prophet is the image that its maker should carve it? The molded image? A teacher of lies that its maker should mold it? Should trust in it? To make... Mute idols. Woe to him who says to the wood, Awake, to the silent stone, Arise, it shall teach. Behold, it is overlaid with gold and silver, yet in it isn't there no breath at all. But the Lord is in His holy temple, but all the earth keeps silence before Him. I could go on a lot and talk about idolatry. Jeremiah 10 verses 3 through 5 talks about the idol and how stupid it is to fall down. because He said you have to take a piece of wood, you have to carve it. He said part of it you use for firewood, part of it you make an idol out of it. Then when you build it, you set it up. And because it won't stand up by itself, you have to take a nail, drive it down to, to make it stand up. And then you fall down and you worship that work of your hands. Let me bring it all together now. Habakkuk allowed God to teach him. He allowed God to show him right versus wrong, good versus evil, and God's plan. And just like I used the illustration in the beginning, one of the biggest problems we have is we criticize people because we don't know what they know. Habakkuk criticized God because he didn't know Judah. He didn't know Babylon. And most importantly, he didn't know God's plans. Habakkuk learned to see things from God's perspective, from God's side. You know, one of the greatest things that you could learn from a lesson like this one is to say, you know what, I'm going to start trying to make sure that I don't look at things just from a worldly standpoint, but I look at them from God's perspective. And once you start looking at things from God's perspective, things will take on a whole new dimension. It'll be much more important to you to worry about a soul who's not obeyed the gospel than a scratch on your new car. Only through the Scriptures can we see ourselves properly and other people properly. And that's Habakkuk as a teachable man. If you'll take your songbooks books out now, we're going to sing an invitation song. We want to encourage you If you look at yourself properly, you'll see that you are worth something to God. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes on Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You this morning can become a child of God because you believe in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sins, confessing your faith, and being baptized. And if you've not been living by faith, the just shall live by faith. You can come and be restored. Would you come together while we stand and sing?